Our scripture reading today is from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Chris. Well, if you're visiting with us, uh, we are looking at Ecclesiastes, and some of you may be thinking that is pretty drab and dreary. Uh, but it has actually been pretty profound as we begin looking at it. Um, Ecclesiastes is a, is a book that I've found more and more as I've studied it, and I've studied a lot of the wisdom literature in the Bible, that it really connects pretty quickly to our current situations. I've been talking, and it just continues to be the discussion, doesn't it, about smartphones. And I was just talking to somebody the other day. They said, I'm kind of getting tired of my smartphone. I kind of want to switch back to a flip phone. <laughs> uh, I actually know a couple of you, maybe in this room, still have a flip phone or have gone back to that and just have been like, it's been awesome. Nobody can get really get a hold of me. It's perfect. Um, and I don't know where I'm going because I don't have GPS. You know, you have to like remember streets and stuff like that. But uh, I do find it interesting that we're doing that and, and continuing to kind of want to go back to that. But isn't that the kind of the question for us though, is as we talk about it further, I'm finding more and more that uh, the questions of how do our smartphones both help and hurt us? One of the things I heard recently was um, actually, uh, it was um, somebody going through uh, um, ordination, what I have gone through. And when they were doing, you have uh, written and oral exams. And one of the things during the oral exams that they were sitting asking questions uh, the person sitting in the room was uh, uh, being addressed and they at, were asked a question and they said, well, why do, why do I need to know that? Well, can't I just look it up on my phone and tell the person, you know? And, uh, and it, it makes you go, well, yeah, that's actually an interesting question. But would you want to go to your doctor and say, gosh, I got this real problem. Can you help me out? And they go, wait, hold on just a second. Let me Google that and look it up. I mean, would that make you feel encouraged about your doctor? Um, I don't know. It does raise a good question for us though. Don't we want, are we becoming smarter or dumber? What are we becoming? Do we know wisdom? All of us want something to give us advice, right? We all want something and it's easy to hold that thing and to just speak into it. Now all we have to do is push a button and it just tells us, Siri tells us anything we want. But is Siri wisdom? What is that? I want to read a quote to you, and I'm not going to tell you who it was, but this is really fascinating to me. This person who said this was talking about the, uh, the difference between just having something written out and actually learning it, understanding it. 
said, if men learn this, it will implant forgetfulness in their souls. They will cease to exercise memory because they rely on that which is written, calling things to remembrance no longer from within themselves, but by means of external marks. What you've discovered is a recipe for not memory, not for memory, but for reminder. And it is no true wisdom that you offer your disciples, but only its semblance. For by telling them of many things without teaching them, you will make them seem to know much, while for the most part they know nothing, and as men, um, and as men filed, not with wisdom, but with conceit of wisdom, they will be a burden for their fellows. That's Plato. Long ago, even Plato said there's a difference between us just having knowledge and pulling it up and wisdom. Wisdom is that thing of, of the space between. What, 80, 90 decision, uh, percent of the decisions uh, in life are not that simple. They're not just a manual. They're not just this one word answer. They're how do you deal with the complexity of it? And it's interesting as we've been looking at Ecclesiastes, it's a part of what's called wisdom literature. It's a part of where um, someone gives us the understanding of what they've been studying. And what's fascinating about Ecclesiastes, different than even like a Proverbs, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, Proverbs many times, and maybe you've heard of it, was almost a handbook for young people to learn how to live life. It was a written text, it's something you can read. Ecclesiastes is, is, is somewhat similar but different in this major point. Instead of just reading the Proverbs, you're actually sitting with the author and you're hearing the author express their very own experiences. I compared it last time to like hearing an audiobook read by the author themselves. You can hear it in their voice. You can hear their passion, their intonation, the differences between someone just reading a book and hearing their voice. It is different. And all of us are wanting that. All of us are wanting to sit with someone to give us advice. I mean, don't we have that? There are countless commercials now for us to have somebody in our life to give us some sort of wisdom, some sort of, some sort of combination. I, I listen to podcasts all the time that consistently are, I'm, I'm searching for it too. What is the combination that's gonna help me to figure out how to, how to handle my work, my family, my navigating, just wanting to read a book? How can I read faster? How can I do this better? How can I do this? I mean, it's constant, and we all are looking for that sage, for that person to sit with. And I would venture for all of us to sit now with who's called the preacher in this text and allow ourselves to hear what he has to say to us. And he doesn't identify himself as Solomon, but more than likely it was, either someone scribing for Solomon or Solomon himself saying to us, let me tell you because I have searched the depths of it. And you know, most of us are like, gosh, that person's really wise. We need to understand Solomon was insanely wise. He says, for someone to even say the fact, I have been king over Israel and Jerusalem and applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom, all that is done under heaven. And again, he says, I acquired great wisdom surpassing all who were in Jerusalem before me. This is somebody who is touting themselves as somebody who's searched it. I have looked, sit with me and let me tell you what I've discovered. And he discovers two things here. He discovers how to embrace limits and how to face complexity. How do you embrace your limits and face complexity? 
And that's what wisdom is about. You know, as he begins here, it talks about embracing limits right off of the bat because the preacher, as he says, I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. And, and then he goes, it is an unhappy business. <laughs> I mean, you would think in, in all of that, if this is someone who's seeking wisdom, it, it, they wouldn't finish that by saying it's an unhappy business. Let's talk about this person for a second though. More than likely, as I said, it's probably Solomon who's speaking here. But he doesn't identify himself as that, probably in part that he doesn't want us to see him as necessarily king, but as a fellow struggler, someone who is actually seeking out all these things that we want to seek. And again, as I said, the difference is that he wants us to sit with him. He doesn't want to just throw a bunch bunch of quip sayings at us. He wants to say, let me tell you, I have actually done this. Hear me, sit with me. Let's spend some time talking and you can hear what it is like for me to encounter all these things. And if it was Solomon here, you can read back if you flip in your Bible back to what's called First Kings. It's a book that's kind of a history of sorts of the kings and other things of Israel. And in First Kings chapter 3, Solomon, who's the son of David. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you may have heard of David's name, King David, this powerful one. Solomon is his son who would come in and usher in peace in the kingdom. And God says to him, what do you want? I will give you anything you want as king. And because Solomon asks for wisdom, he, God gives him everything. God is, says, I will give you everything else included. And why would he ask for wisdom? Because there's so many things to navigate. In that time, the royal scribes and counselors to have a discussion, to have people surrounding you, to help you navigate economic issues, to help governmental issues, to help a kingdom who is tattered, who just found their kind of identity through war, what would they do now? And Solomon would be the king. How would he answer all these questions that they have? I mean, think about that, being put in that position of power, he would have to have wisdom. And usually a king would surround themselves with a host of wise counselors. But Solomon himself says, I want to be wise. I want to be the one who takes on all of this. And he was so wise, in fact, that when in chapter 10 of the same book, the queen of Sheba, other rulers came to him, and even mentions this a little bit here, alludes to it. When Queen of Sheba comes to him and asks him questions, she says, he answered my questions with such ease that it says it knocked the breath out of her. That it was so easy for him to help her navigate the difficult, hard, not easy, black, white, yes, no parts of life. The parts of life that we live in the most. Like I said, most of life is wisdom decisions. It's not an easy thing. And he has all of it. I mean, it's almost like <laughs> to us that Solomon was like, you know, a, a, a incarnation of an iPhone, you know? People could come to him and say, Solomon, I'm gonna push the button. What, what should I do here? And here's your answer, right? Please don't call me that. I am this. You know, like Solomon could give the answer. He was the wise one people went to. It was amazing. He studied. Now think about this. He didn't just understand economic things. He was so wise, he understood creation. If you read other parts of the wisdom books, you you hear him talk all about this, that he knows about how plants work. He knows how creation 
moves and revolves. We even saw a little bit of this last week. He is so wise. His wisdom is all-encompassing. He is far-traveled. Many of you in this room have been to other countries, other places. You've maybe worked abroad. Maybe some of you are in different places now than you've ever been before, and it's stretching you to force you to go, how do I live in this culture, in this complexity? He had done all of that. He had gained it, all of what he would say under the sun. And he took it in and he understood it. I was listening to a, um, a podcast by uh, This American Life. Maybe some of you have heard it before. It's NPR. It's interesting, sometimes helpful, sometimes not. And uh, one in particular was called Becoming a Badger. Uh, it, it, was so, it was like Becoming a Badger. I pick, put, clicked on it. I was like, what is that? And the intro was about a guy named Charles Foster who had an incredibly wonderful British accent. And he was talking about how as a child, he saw a blackbird in his backyard. And he began to be fascinated by the fact that he would see this blackbird come and go. And, and, and after a few days, he said, I know this backyard, but I know this blackbird knows the yard in ways that I do not. That it flies around and through its eyes, it sees things in a different way that I don't see. I wonder what it's like. So he began fasc became fascinated with this. And, you know, later in life, they asked him, is this what, you know, drove you to be a veterinarian? So he becomes a veterinarian later in life. You see this progressing. And when he has children, he decides, I want to teach my children this. So he, he says, I, want to, I wonder what it's like to live like a badger. So he takes his son, they go out in the woods, and they actually figure out what is, it, what is a badger like? They have poor eyesight. They live close to the ground. This guy and his son start crawling around on the ground with their noses blindfolded to the ground, navigating in a forest. And it says that, that it was amazing, the smells that he acquired. He said every square inch had a different, unique smell to it. He said when it, when it started raining, it was even more amazing. He said it was an explosion into his olfactory senses. Like everything, he took in it all and, and it was opening up. This is why so many of us have allergies when it rains, right? All of those things came out and he found himself in this whole other world. And then all of a sudden, somebody would stumble upon him or they'd run into a tree or something and just be aware of their senses, right? Be aware of themselves, <laughs> Solomon is so wise that he didn't just know those simple creaturely kind of things and study them. He knew them to a breadth. He knew them so wide and so, so strong that he could sit with people and discuss those kind of things, not just on one type of animal, but multiple. Not just one type of weather system, but multiple. He was insanely wise. And yet he finds himself after studying it all, saying it's an unhappy business. He hits the ceiling of it. He hits the ceiling, just like that man hit a tree with his nose at the ground blindfolded. He hits the limitations of his self and his awareness of his creatureliness. Look, it is so frustrating for us to seek wisdom, to want to know the, the width and breadth of all of something in this life, to give us some sort of combination, to give us some sort of meaning, some groundedness. And yet we constantly are hitting that tree, hitting the ceiling, finding our limitations and our frustration with it. And he even gives an illustration, another one, if, we, if vapor wasn't enough, 
of striving after the wind. It's almost a, a Hebrew language of, uh, as I was looking at, of, of feeding the wind. You know, wind is an interesting thing because if you go out and you watch it, you, you can't really see it. You see its effects more than you see the wind itself. You see what it pushes, you see what it pulls, you see what it lifts up, what it throws around. You, you see its effects. But trying to catch it is impossible. And not to, not to mention trying to see it, it's invisible, but it's power to hold on to it. How could you do that? Solomon is saying in his striving to be so wise, to have the perfect combination, it is like trying to hold the wind. I was blowing at my two-year-old son and really loves to do bubbles and we have bubbles outside and uh, the last couple days we've actually done it out uh, in our driveway and, and he loves running around and trying to pop the bubbles. And yesterday was a particularly windy day and both my boys were out there and you know, it was, we were blowing, the, I was the one blowing the bubbles, so I just had this big wand, and so I got the easy job of just letting the wind kind of push the bubbles. But, you know, it got a little, it was like, oh, let's pop the bubbles. Okay, now let's all get bats. So they went and got little bats, and they started chasing, and just, you know, like, let's see if we can crush the bubbles, you know, and so let's, let's up the ante a little bit. But to the degree that they got bats, to the degree they chased them down, the wind would take those things and swirl them. One moment, a bubble would be here, and they'd go like this, and it'd just split in half and they'd be like what did I just do they'd be amazed by it the bubbles were always winning and they were always flying all over the yard because they couldn't catch them the wind was pushing these things everywhere that is the sense that we get it's the sense that maybe every now and then we get a moment where we can grasp the bubble but once we touch it it pops and it's gone all we feel is a bit of a residue on our fingers and yet the rest of them are flying around us. That is the, the, the sense where he feels his limitations. He sees that he can't catch them all. And when he does, they disappear. We are all looking for that right thing to just make it right. To, to if we can hold on to it, if I can just hold this, it would make me a better worker. I would have a balanced schedule. I, I would be able to actually parent my children. <laughs> I would be able to be a better friend. I'd be able to finish 20 books a year. I'd be able to do that exam right. I'd be able to study well. I'd be able to be a better spouse, a friend. I'd be better at what do you put in that blank. And it feels like every time we try and grasp it, it pops and we feel ourselves at loss. It's so difficult. And he even goes on, if that's not enough, to say, what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. What is he saying? He's saying to us that, that there's always gonna be stuff left undone. You know, to the degree that we find ourselves making progress in things, there's always going to be a lack. There's always going to be a gap, a loss of Wisdom. I was listening to, uh, I was listening to um, this specific person talk about productivity. I kind of mentioned it earlier, and I literally listened to this this podcast on how to you know schedule your day better. What's the best way to order emails? You know all those things that we're kind of like, okay, how do we do this? And literally, probably it's about an hour and a half long. You know, I just listened to bits of it driving around and. 
I get probably to the end, hour through this thing, and all of a sudden, the guy just goes, oh yeah, and if you're listening to this and you have small children, don't even worry about this podcast, you know? And I was like, okay, so wasted an hour and I'm unproductive still. You know, like what, what is it giving to me? And it's so interesting to find ourselves in that moment where, where you find yourself making head where you're like, yes, 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 this is gonna be great. And all of a sudden, it's like that diet that we all wanna try this new year, 2018. You know what, I'm gonna move from maybe the Atkins diet to this diet. You know, like we shift, we go, this one would be, fit me a little bit. Whole 30, I'm gonna try it again, this 30. You know, this month, I'm gonna kick it and then I'll start it up in February. But wait, there's not 30 days. Wait, hold on, what, what do I do? You know, like, how are you doing that? We all are trying to make that. The preacher's trying to tell you, you will always lack. You will always lack. I was watching uh, my new favorite show, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, and Jerry Seinfeld driving around with all these comedians, both contemporary and, and, and older, and, and amazing, sitting there with one of his co-creators of Seinfeld, Larry David. And they're sitting over food and, um, and Larry David is trying to convince him that his health ways are great. And Seinfeld just, he, and, and what he's doing, his, his line, he's like, I'm drinking tea. You don't know what's in my cup, but it's tea. You know, and he's like, he will not drink coffee. You know, he's really hard against that, all this stuff. And Jerry Seinfeld just says, look, he pushes his pancakes across the table. And he says, you're gonna, you're gonna eat that. And all of a sudden you see Larry David, he goes, okay. And he goes, you're gonna put syrup on it. He took a bite of it. And he started, you see, you see his hands start going like this. And Jerry's talking to him and he's like, he's almost not even listening. He's focused on this pancake and he just goes back to it. And he, he just breaks. All of a sudden he's like, okay, I'm just gonna eat the pancake. I'm gonna devour it. He's like, I'm not gonna eat all my cucumbers that I ordered for breakfast, you know. Like he starts devouring it. And you just see again, not just the, the fact that we find ourselves in this place of, I think I can do it, I'm gonna make it, and have this perfect rhythm, this perfect formula for all of life, and yet we lack. When are we gonna embrace our limits? When are we gonna embrace them? When are we gonna embrace the fact that we cannot have the perfect combination to be the perfect person? This is what I was praying earlier in our systems about our confession. We would love to have a system and not have God in it. That's what the preacher is trying to say. We would love to have a formula and say, God, you are so helpful to give me wisdom, but I really don't need you. You're not a part of this algorithm. It's not gonna help me anymore to have you a part of that, but you're a good friend. Thank you for that. It would be easy for church, scripture, the table, all of those disciplines, even if you're here this morning, you're kind of coming back into the walls of a church, to think that this spirituality thing is just another part, another component of the formula. Let's just slide it in there and it'll make everything just right. When are we gonna embrace our limits? This doesn't make you right. Being inside of these church walls doesn't make you or me closer to God or in relationship with him any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. There, there's no, no part of that. Where are we gonna embrace the fact we don't have a system that works? It, it'll help us, sure. 
But the preacher's trying to get underneath that for you and say, stop trying to look to wisdom to save you. And I'll tell you what, I will be the first to admit I want that to happen. I have lined up more to-dos that are recycled on my iPhone that pop back up every week, every Monday too. They line up and I feel, when I check them off, I'm thinking, man, this is awesome. And yet they just come back. Unless I literally slide and delete, <laughs> they come back. I've only set myself up for more of a system and structure that I fail in. How much do you do that? Because facing that, embracing that limitation is what we have to do. We have to embrace the fact that we can't do it. And all we get sometimes is that residue on our hands from the bubbles we pop. Preachers wanting us to come to the end of ourselves so we can see there has to be more than our systems. Even this, he says, it's about facing the complexity. I don't know about you, but I don't think I could say this. I have applied my heart to know wisdom and folly, madness and folly, as he says. And he's done it all. He has experienced it all, he says. I, to use a superlative word like that about wisdom and folly, those kind of things. This guy has actually done these things. And here's what's interesting. To the degree that he pursued wisdom, the right system was to the same degree he found it, his madness and folly. He searched out even its opposite. And even more so, the complexity of sorrow that it brought in. What is, what is wisdom really? Wisdom is making those choices, but I love what Tim Keller said, this pastor from New York City. He said, wisdom is competence regarding the complex realities of life. It is actually understand the complexities of life. But folly in itself is not like a, 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 a mental dullness or idiocy. It's, a, it's being obstinate. It's not unintelligent. It's not being mindful. It's not just dumb, but it's somebody who lives out intentional destruction in their lives. The preacher is saying, sit with me for a moment. Let me tell you, not only did I pursue the best of life, I, I really sought out to seek its opposite. I sought out to seek the parts that are not wise. The madness of it, the craziness, the folly that is a part of it. That a fool is, is somebody who's out of touch of reality. If wisdom is being most in touch with reality, I wanted to understand, what does it mean to be someone who is out of touch with it? Even the language of fool means this. Listen to this. The language of fool or folly is knowing that there's an order to this world and then just denying it. It's actually saying, instead, I'm going, instead of God, you created this world, I'm gonna figure out and learn how you've made it and shaped my life to it. It's taking this world and trying to shape it to you. That's foolishness. And he said, I'm gonna seek that out. I'm gonna try and do that. And still, from those things, he found it as striving after the wind. He found it the same. He didn't find wisdom and and foolishness necessarily on equal playing fields in terms of what's better and what's not. But he did find the fact is what he's saying is, is that both those who are wise and foolish struggle with the same capacities of how do we live and die and make sense of what's next. 
that wisdom is not in and of itself just because it may produce a better life. To understand wisdom more, he sought that out. He even pursued every opposite end of that. You can even read of Solomon's ventures in this and what he some ways finds in foolishness to help him understand to be wise, it still doesn't gird it up enough. And even to this degree, it says, for in much wisdom is much vexation and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I don't know about you, but I, even as, a, as somebody who's a Christian and talks about suffering and reads it in the Bible, and maybe that's a part of it for you that, that you wonder about, it is easy to think, if I get my life together, if I get this right balance, if I'm wise enough, I can push out any sort of grief, lament, or issue. But you know what wisdom actually is? It's actually facing the complexity of sorrow. To, to the degree you know more is to the degree you draw in and you understand that this world is broken. It's not a happy-go-lucky thing. That's why we want systems. We want systems not just to make a perfect life. We want systems to keep out the bad and make everything good. And we can't. To the degree you understand wisdom and how this life works is to the degree you need to understand sorrow. There's so many articles about how many generations now are growing up because of parents not letting their children encounter suffering. And the issues aren't because the parents want to do good things for them. They wanna keep good, right? It's, I need to create a world, I need to create a system where my child does not encounter bad things. What are we doing? We're not teaching them wisdom the complexities of life. We're, we're teaching them that, that there's, this, there's good and there's bad. And when they encounter bad, and all of us, many of them in this room, know what that's like because when we encounter suffering, we don't know what to do with it. And we suffer so poorly. We don't suffer well. And so we wonder how we can suffer with one another. We don't, if we can't suffer well ourselves, how, do, how can you enter into the complexity of someone else's life if you can't embrace it yourself? If you can't face your own? What do you do with that? This is what the preacher's saying. We have to embrace that because it, cause, it should cause us to humility. Do you see what he's doing? The preacher's genius. In embracing your limitations and facing the complexities, you are forced to your knees to say, I can't do it. I can't fit it. I have to look heavenward. Same as the phrase, striving after the wind and under the sun. Who is the one that holds the sun and wind in his hands? It is not us. It is God. My one of my favorite quotes, and I will always quote it because I love what he said, G.K. Chesterton, who was an author before even C.S. Lewis, said this in his book, Orthodoxy, about this very thing. Listen to what he says. To accept everything is an exercise. To understand everything is a strain. The poet only desires exaltation and expansion, a world to stretch himself in. The poet only asks to get his heaven into the head, his head into the heavens. It is the logician who seeks to get the heavens into his head, and it is his head that splits. 
The madman is not the man who has lost his reason. The madman is the man who has lost everything except his reason. I've loved that quote for so long because I have wanted for so long, just as you, to take heaven and try and fit it into my head. This passage is so powerful because it drives us to our knees. It forces us to say, there has to be a king that if this king couldn't do it, what king could? There has to be somebody who could grasp the sun and the wind. There has to be something more. There's a king who had all knowledge. And that's what this table is showing us. There's a king who had actually had all knowledge and then instead of trying to find all wisdom necessarily, he took on limitation. He took on limitation in himself, the futility of this life, and came and died. He took on what called, many called foolishness. You know what? People then, and maybe here this morning and you see this table as foolishness now, people saw in the first century when people began to take communion like this, the body and blood of Jesus, they're like, why are y'all cannibals? He said, you are weird, fools. Why are you following some God that died on the cross? That's foolishness. And yet, this man said, I am a king, but not of this world. I am a king who holds both the wind and the sun, who gives his body and blood for you. Because what did he do? He became a fool to save fools, to make us wise. This table is the good news in light of the bad. Think about his names, even Jesus himself. What was one of his names? Man of sorrows. His wisdom he took on. He was a man of sorrow. He took on the complexities when he didn't have to. He sat in a garden before he went to the cross, before he was arrested and taken, and sweat drops of blood, wrestling with the complexities of what he was about to do in his death so he could bring us life. So we wouldn't be left at the end of this passage thinking, where do I go from here? It should humble us. If you're here this morning, it should humble you to look at this table, to come forward and receive, to receive in the one who willingly humbled himself so that we may come in, we may have life, we may know. And it's not a system you take to come to this table. If you're here this morning and you feel like you got the right formula, you're in the right place, you've earned this table in any way, in any sort of system structure, formula, combination that you have, you cannot, you don't come through those, you come through a person, through Jesus Christ. So with that, I would ask for us to stand together.